I'm not sure who I offended to be able to have to have chapel right after this election, but uh, they're like, give it to Brother Sharp. Let him take care of it. It's kind of like if you've ever been on a flight going somewhere, I was amazed uh, to understand that the destination of the flight dramatically affects the mood of the flight. I remember one time uh, we were going on a little vacation getaway to uh, the Bahamas area. It was, like, it was uh, actually um, St. John, the Virgin Islands. And it was like, it was a party. It's like everybody was my best friend. Everybody's like, hey, how are you today? Oh, pretty good. And everybody's like giddy and chatty. Or there's a difference between that flight and the one going to Haiti. It's just like everybody's kind of solemn or bracing for impact. And that's just the landing. And so uh, a little bit of, of that feeling happens. But we are reminded, right, that uh, not to be cliche, but God is still on the throne. He was there yesterday. And he's right where he was today. Where was yesterday, today. And um, our hope is not in the White House or in the House of Representatives. Uh, our hope is in the Lord. And uh, obviously, that being said, we need to see good people in office. And maybe it's just a challenge that some of you guys need to be involved in that, in that manner. You'll find the men of God intersecting with the men of government a lot in the Word of God if you look closely. Uh, and uh, so I, there's a challenge that I have. I see a lot of um, missionaries with our ministry. Our ministry takes and does a radio, audio, and video for churches and missionaries around the world. So we are... We have the high privilege of working with some of the best of God's servants. But there's a commonality amongst God's work, no matter what country you're in. And the commonality is everyone needs help. Everyone, there's a labor shortage. That's why he says, pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'd send forth laborers. And there's a labor, the labor shortage in the idea of direct ministry, but also in ministering and doing God's will uh, as a political uh, you know, servant for the people as well. Uh, good people aren't involved in that, and sometimes we're left with the fetterments of this world uh, to lead us on to victory. But um, honestly, how did that happen, really? I mean... I just, uh, there's so many things I could say, but I'm not going to say those. Praise the Lord. Psalm 34 this morning. This is the message for the hour for us. Uh, I'm Brother Sharp. I met my wife just kind of in a situ- similar situation. I was at a small Bible college and uh, met this incredible lady. And uh, we had 23 years together and God took her home to be with the Lord. And we really had a wonderful experience together. Uh, and it was 100% because of God's grace and because she was an angel, not because of me. But I'm saying I had a very, very happy, happy marriage. Uh, And as I've gone on, I kind of said something to this to the mission students uh, yesterday, uh, but I have friends, I have a lot of friends that I went to Bible college with that I stay in contact with uh, on a regular basis. And my college buddies, guys I played in the basketball team with, guys I was in ministry with and things like that in college. And I was shocked to learn that not everybody had that same experience uh, with with their marriage, with their spouse. To the point where it's like, wow, numerically, there's a lot that didn't have a happy experience and, and had a very unhappy and, and abysmal ending. Of course, that also affected their ability to really be in full-time ministry and things like that. And I would say just be very careful at this time of life uh, that you choose wisely. Uh, and uh, if you do, it's an incredible experience. Being married to the love of your life who loves the Lord and you're graciously giving each other grace and, uh, and love and comfort and strength and companionship. And God uses that to enable you to minister unlike you could before. Uh, 
but if you have the opposite of that, if you have so, some level of self-centeredness, bitterness, uh, selfishness, or whatever else comes into play, it can keep you from the ability to conduct a fruitful, effective ministry. So choose wisely. Uh, choose wisely. And then once the choice is made, you determine by God's grace to be the best spouse you can. Because that, especially ladies, that is, your first ministry is to help him be the best preacher he can be, to help him to be the best minister he can be. Uh, and you'll see incredible things happen. God can really use that. But um, great to see you here today. Um, our ministry does do radio, audio, video for churches and missionaries around the world. We get to work with some of the best missionaries, as I mentioned. Um, one of the fellows we worked with is Brother Rick Martin. And uh, he's been in the Philippines for over 40 years now. He weighs like 111 pounds. <laughs> he's a sickly man. His wife's got cancer, but God's using them in an amazing way. And I've learned a lot from men like him. He has His Bible college has over a, over a thousand graduates that are serving as pastors in the Philippines. He has over 300 graduates that are missionaries in other countries uh, from his small Bible college in Iloilo. Um, and he also has the ability to put Christian radio stations anywhere in the Philippines um, because of a government law that was made on their behalf to allow them to have a franchise there. So we've put in five Christian radio stations under that license, and we've got five more ready to go. Uh, Lord willing, we're going back in January. That's probably the biggest project we've been involved with. And the license states they have a 25-year period to install as many, as, far, as long as there's a frequency there, as many Christian radio stations as we can and TV stations. So it's a great way to reach a culture like that. I hope you'll pray for it. We call that Project 7107. And the Philippines is a ripe harvest field. And sometimes we kind of look, look at our missions, ideas, and strategies, and we look at like where, where does God want us to go in a singular fashion. But oftentimes... God is just working in certain regions, and we just need to get on his train. Uh, we need to just say, God, this is where you're working. Let's, let me go. Would you let me work in this part of your vineyard? Because this is where it's happening. And it's happening in the Philippines, has been for quite some time. And you have a culture there of people that, uh, that uh, already believe that the Bible has some merit. They already believe that Jesus died on the cross because of their Catholic upbringing. And it's truly good news for them to know that they don't have to work for salvation that it's free. And so uh, we see a lot of fruitful harvest there, and we pray that that continues. Working in other areas like India uh, and Cameroon and other areas of Africa as well. We put a lot of different miles on throughout the year, but it's our privilege. uh, And I look back over the years and say, what in the world? I can't believe all this is happening. And it's all, God gets all the glory. Um, because I'm not qualified to do what, what I do as far as on the technical things like that, but God gives grace, God gives understanding, God gives help, God could, puts a team together, and he's made it happen over and over again for, uh, for decades, and I'm very, very thankful to be a part of his work. And, I, and if you look at it like that, sometimes we look at our ministry as what we're doing. We should look at as his ministry, and we get to be a part uh, in his vineyard, in his work, with his word, and trying to bring up a people for him. Uh, and I think we're co-laborers together with him. And with God's on your side, um, you know, there's definitely a majority. And I'm reminded also of the Great Commission this morning. Uh, he said, obviously, go. And then he said, lo. And he says, lo, I am with you always. And we can kind of think of that. Yeah, God's with us always, all the time. But he says, even to the end of the world. So when it gets bad in our country and politically and, and things like that, I think he put that phrase in there kind of just for us right now, even to the end of the world. The world may look like it's falling apart. 
He wasn't just with the disciples in the early church. He wasn't just in the, in, with the revivalists in the Great Awakening. He's with us here today. And when things go bad, things go south, we have all powers given unto him. And he is with us in a very special, unique way. And we should claim that promise as we try and do something for him. So Psalm 34, here the Bible says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Verse 3, O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here at chapel, Lord. Lots going on and things going on at church tonight and and studies going on in classes and all of the uh, things going through the young people's minds today. Lord, we want to set aside all of that and ask that you would be with us now. Lord, we're gathered in your name. We're claiming that promise that you you say you're going to be with us. And Lord, please manifest yourself to us this morning. Speak to us through your word. And somehow, Lord, forgive, cleanse, and fill, and use me to be able to deliver something from your word that will affect the hearts of these young people for time and eternity and for your glory. Lord, we're not just coming because we have to this morning here. We're coming because we want to, and we need to hear from you. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 34, it's a psalm of David, uh, and uh, obviously you think of David for the most part. When you say something about David, you think of, right, King David, or maybe the, the successful, victorious lad over the giant with the sling. And we think of this guy who, who's, you know, he can do pretty much everything. He can, he, can, uh, he can kill you with his bare hands because he's a warrior, uh, and he can lead the sheep, and he can play the harp, and he can write some psalms. This guy's got the whole package. Uh, girls, if you're looking for a guy, you're looking for a King David type. He's talented and good looking. He's ruddy, got a good uh, complexion. He's a good guy. And, uh, and we think sometimes of biblical characters, sometimes in almost an, uh, a supernatural fashion. This is King David of lore. And, you know, we, we think of, of him as like a superstar in the Bible and has this little cape, probably flies around. And we, th- we can think of these people in, in not an everyday fashion. And sometimes we give ourselves a pass. Of course, David did mighty things because he's David, right? He's King David. Of course he can do this or that because he, he you know, killed the lion and the bear and he killed Goliath and he cut his head off and he had you know, Saul killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. Of course, God's going to bless him. Of course, David's going to be on easy street and say, of course, I'm in the palace. He's got somebody with a big, big you know, palm frond fan in him and somebody's throwing grapes in his mouth because he's the king. And uh, you know, he, didn't, he didn't like what the cupbearer did, so he's like, off with his head. I mean, he's got all this, all this luxury. Probably does it every day just for fun. And, uh, but that's not the case. We, we see this situation, and David is happy. I will bless the Lord, and my soul shall boast in the Lord, and magnify the Lord. All this happy song, sometimes we can look at the Word of God on its, on, on its first read and say, of course, of course, of course, he's happy. He's the king. And if I was driving around in a Lamborghini chariot, I'd be happy too. My brother Sharp, I drive a rust bucket, I don't have laundry money, and my guy just lost the election. Come on. Where am I supposed to be? But what we don't realize is, David is writing, maybe you already do realize this, but maybe some of us don't realize, I didn't realize this. When David's writing this, he's not in the palace. Okay? David's not writing this from the perspective of a king issuing royal edicts as his kingdom is, is happy and everybody's wealthy and wise. He's writing this 
as his lunatic father-in-law is chasing him from cave to cave. And he's surrounded by a bunch of misfits. If you look in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21, 1 Samuel chapter 21, just a little bit of context before we get into this idea this morning. And again, I'm short and sweet. I won't be, I won't be long. Uh, I normally give the weather forecast on the radio in 30 seconds. I can't promise you 30 seconds today, but we'll do our best. And David rose, verse chapter 21, 1 Samuel 21, verse 10. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did not they sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid. So he was afraid, and he went down to the Philistines. And now they're like, wait a second. This is our enemy. And now he's sore afraid. That means he's really scared. Uh, And uh, verse 13 comes up with a novel idea. Kind of like the, it's what's called the Fetterman dynamic. He's getting ready to. And he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the doors at the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard when asked about inflation. And said, Achish, unto his servants, Lo, ye see the man is mad. Wherefore have ye brought him to me? Have I need of a madman? Uh, have ye brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And Achish is like, Ew, get him away. And, and, and then we follow along in the first verse of the next chapter. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. So it's from this standpoint of not so much a victory in his life. He's shamed, he's scared, and he's surrounded by who? People that are in distress, in debt, and people that are discontented. It's from that place in his life that David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. First thing I want you to see this morning is his determination. David made a determination in his life. And I remember hearing when I was in Bible college, people say, oh, you know, you're going to have some struggles in life. And you having to turn in your paper on Friday is not the struggle I'm talking about. That's getting you ready for the struggle, but there's going to be some adversity in your life. There's going to be some problems coming your way, and you better make sure you get things settled here and now, and that's very true, and that's exactly what David did. David said, I am going to make a decision. You see, praising God and living for God is not a product of our environment. It's not a product of Uh, of a happy song playing. And now, boy, praise the Lord. Wow, that's a great song. That's not really, truly praising God is not a product of our outside stimuli. Praising God is a matter of the will. I will bless the Lord at all times. David made the decision, I am going to live a life that reflects his glory, no matter if I am having to act like a crazy guy, no matter if I'm scared, no matter if I'm in a cave, no matter if I'm surrounded by discouraged, indebted, uh, discontented people, I will bless the Lord 
at all times. It's kind of the opposite of, of the way it can be. You know, if you're getting all red lights on the way somewhere and you're late, it's hard, this is first world problems, to, to praise the Lord, right? Uh, but you can do it if you've decided before the red light comes, I will. I will. Praising God is not a product, <clears throat> excuse me, of your environment or your circumstances. It's a decision that you make. It's a matter of the will. And it's an interesting thing. He, he, he makes a decision, and he makes a decision not just about a certain time period. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And when you make a declaration like that, it's a little scary. You make a declaration, you're like, okay, now I'm drawing a land in the sand. I'm saying this. In fact, he's singing it, and he wants people to sing with him about it. He, it's, and if he doesn't praise the Lord, people are going to say, David, what happened to all times? What happened to continually? Remember you sang that yesterday. And so he's going he's to have to kind of follow through on it. He's not just making a decision like, I'm going to go to the altar in my heart right now at my seat. No, he came forward and he made a big decision in front of everybody. I will bless the Lord at all times. We see this decision. And then we see also the source of the decision. Again, it wasn't outside stimulus. It was, he said in verse 2, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. See, true praise and a true life of dedication to the Lord and to his glory starts on the inside. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. And it starts with an inward assurance of facts that we know, that literally we know that God is good. Have you thought about that much? God is good. Everything in this life has some sort of the curse that accompanies it. Now, that's as good, well, but it's high in cholesterol. <laughs> I mean, everything, it, there's, there's, a, there's all the, always this like, uh, lining to the cloud that makes you like, okay, well, well, why would I eat it? Well, pretty much, you can't eat anything. I mean, celery is not good. <laughs> so, but God is good, period. He's good, but, no, no, he's good. And David knows this in his soul, and he's like, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. Now, you may say, well, Brother Sharp, I made the decision, and I know God is good. And my soul right now is so happy and rejoicing. No, no, I'm happy right now. You have no idea. I am just rejoicing in my heart. I'm happy. God is good. You see, it won't stay there. You see, because he says this, Oh, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. How is the humble going to hear if you're walking around like you just drank lemon juice? <laughs> no, eventually your soul has to inform your countenance that you are indeed happy. And if it does start on the inside, it won't stay there. If you're truly rejoicing in the Lord, if you've truly made the decision, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. It will start in your soul and it will emanate out the rest of your body and it will be observed by those around you. His determination, I will bless the Lord at all times. Secondly, in verse 3, O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Not only do we see his determination, we see his invitation. He says, I want you, I'm going to praise the Lord all the time, in every circumstance. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, why don't you magnify the Lord with me? He says, praise is a team sport. 
You know, God inhabits the praises of his people. There's something special that happens when someone praises God and lifts up his name and gives him praise and worship and adoration, and that person is joined by someone else. There's a special dynamic that happens, and God is pleased with that. And David is saying, listen, I want you to bless the Lord and magnify the Lord with me. These are great words, magnify the Lord. Let's make him seem bigger. That's the opposite of my human nature. My nature wants you to think that I'm a big shot. I want to magnify me. This is really a supernatural thing when a human who's so full of themselves can say, no, 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 don't magnify me. (laughs) Magnify the Lord. How great is our God. Magnify the Lord with me. And so we see then that his determination goes to this invitation, but it has an implication, really. The implication is his decision affected those around him. David wouldn't be saying, oh, magnify the Lord with me if he hadn't made that decision. Your decision to praise God and live for God affects those around you. As you lead in your ministry, as you function in your dorm room, as someday you lead your home, or ladies, as you guide the home and help the children, if you choose to be a complaining, whining child of God, it will affect your children. You want to find children that are, that are bitter against ministry? You'll find a, a, a ministry family that complained about church members at home. And how hard the ministry has been. And how much we don't have any money. And how difficult it is. But if you say, man, what a privilege it is to serve God. Boy, God has been so good. Look how God met our need here. Look how God used Brother So-and-so. Look how God is working in the hearts of... And, and not just in a, in a false sense, in a fake way. But if you're truly thankful and rejoicing, your decision will affect those around you. But it's easy to be hypocritical. I mean, I'm a dad. I have five kids. And it's easy to hear the kids in the back seat. They're doing this, you know, complaining and whining and and fighting and and all this happening. And you're like, hey, kids, look in the mirror. I got you. No, stop it. Stop complaining. Stop whining. And the next sentence out of my mouth is, man, I'm hungry. And boy, this is real. And I begin to complain. Like, why are they complaining? Well, maybe it's because dad's got a bad attitude. And, you know, God takes very seriously this idea of complaining. And sometimes we don't look at our complaining and our criticism as a direct affront to God and his goodness, but God certainly does. You can see his attitude about complaining with his reaction to the children of Israel. When they were wandering, what would really, really uh, kind of change the dynamic of God towards his people is when they were complaining. Oh, if we only had the leeks back. It was so good sitting around the flesh pots getting whipped by the Egyptians. So good. Now here we are headed to the promised land where we get to have vineyards we didn't plant and houses we didn't build. Boring. I wish I could go back there. And God took that very seriously because their lack of faith brought about a lack of thanksgiving and a lack of praise and a lack of adoration. So we see his determination I will bless the Lord at all times. We see his invitation. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Praise is truly a team sport. And then he gives a proclamation. So it's kind of like David is in the cave right now. And he's talking to his constituents. Uh, he, he said they've just voted him in as the leader of the band. And uh, all 400 discouraged and, you know, indebted. They're like, you know, right there. These guys are the loser crew. And they're all like, you're our leader. Well, this is great. I'm the king of you guys. And, and we, we're coming in the back door, and we're look, peering through, and he's kind of having a little chapel service amongst, amongst his mighty men that aren't quite mighty yet. 
And uh, he's like, listen, guys, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And then he kind of gives a He said, let me start it out. I, I'm going to magnify the Lord and let me do. Let me be first in this little service giving a testimony. He goes, I sought the Lord in verse 4 and he heard me and delivered me from all my Fears. We're looking through and David begins to testify about how God met one of his needs. He begins to inform these people who've got problems. Listen, I had some problems and look what God did for me. And he gives a couple other examples. There's a group of people here in the front row. He says, look, they looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. And then everybody knows about Bob. Bob of all the discouraged, discontented indebted people, Bob has just got problems. And Bob's right here in the front row. And he says, this poor man, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him. Do you believe God heard him? And saved him out of all of his troubles. In this proclamation, I see a pattern existing in all three of these little testimonies. David said, I sought the Lord. They looked unto him and this poor man cried. And the first thing I see is a humble prayer. David's wanting to praise the Lord, and, and he starts giving a testimony and sharing the testimony of some other people. And the first thing on the list, he's like, I sought the Lord. They looked unto him. This poor man cried. A humble prayer. He sought the Lord. You know, the problem most of the time isn't unanswered prayer. It's unoffered prayer. When we do have a problem, when we are before Abimelech, and he's like, uh, what? Are you crazy? We should kill this guy. He kills Philistines. When you're in that place in your life, sometimes the first call isn't to the Lord. So I was like, oh, yeah, I need a loan. Rich uncle, mom and dad, I need help. Sometimes we fail to call on the Lord. And I like the way David said, we know he means prayer. We know he means he talked to the Lord and said, God, please help me. But he said it like this, I sought the Lord. Boy, that's, that's a little different than just saying, God, help me, 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 my, my, me, me, me. He sought God, God himself. God, I want to see you in this. God, I want to see your character. Please reveal yourself to me. Boy, it's a, it's, it's a little deeper than just saying, God, help. And God answers those prayers too, uh, the, the prayer of desperation. But I'm saying David sought the Lord. Now, David could have said, listen, uh, uh, I will bless the Lord at all times, and I want you guys to magnify the Lord with me. And I sought the Lord. Isn't it great that I prayed? They looked unto him. This poor man cried. Let's take the offering and go home. He could have ended the the, the service right then. But he didn't. And I'm really glad because there's more in his testimony. I sought the Lord and he heard me. And of course, they looked unto him and were lightened. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. Do you believe it? I can't believe he heard him. But not only do we have a humble prayer, but we have a hearing Lord. We have a God who hears the prayers of his people. Now, do you realize how incredible that is? We're talking omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, creator of heaven and earth, hears the prayer of his people. It would be incredible. I saw the lieutenant governor last night walking around. And some people were talking to him. They're like, wow, this, is, this guy's a man of importance. I'm going to talk to him. Or maybe a president, if you've ever had an opportunity to see someone of great power. It's, it's, it's very a pr- place of privilege to be able to speak to that person because that person has power to do things. We, through the blood of Jesus Christ, 
have an audience with the creator of heaven and earth. We can know that he hears us. I sought the Lord and he heard me. They were lightened and he heard him. Okay. We're going to have a special and that's going to be the end. No, no. The story doesn't end there. Uh, praise the Lord. I sought the Lord. So we have a humble prayer, a hearing Lord. And I'm so very thankful. It's not a period there, but it continues. He said, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. We have a humble prayer, a hearing Lord, but we have a helpful reply this morning. David was dealing with a, a God who loved him and not only heard him, but helped him. God undertook for King David. And God got David through that, that trouble and that trial. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. And this poor man, well, he cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Hey, listen, oh, magnify the Lord with me, man. Some good things happen. Let me tell you, I'll tell you some of the good things. I sought the Lord, he heard me, and he saved me, he delivered me from all my fears. They were lightened. This poor man cried, the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. And you see this pattern over and over again. Somebody who needs help, seeks God's help, he hears and he helps. And you know, that's kind of what happens at this pulpit. Probably every single time somebody comes to this pulpit to share a message, let me tell you about how good God is. Let me tell you about how God will honor this in your life. And he will honor his word in this area. Let me tell, tell you how God wants you to do this. And God has these promises. And you can get in on it. And we hear over and over and over about God doing special things. And we could be in that audience of David's men. He's a captain to them. And we can hear what God has done over and over again. But that's not enough. That's not the point. It isn't just so you and I enjoy what God did for David, these guys, and this poor man. David goes one step further in verse 8 and says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. His determination, I will. His invitation, magnify the Lord with me. His, his proclamation, I saw the Lord. He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. And then his provocation, he's provoking them to do one more thing. And it's kind of summed up by a simple illustration. I like food. I know it's hard for you to believe that. But, of course, if you've ever been down south a bit to Chicagoland, way down south, uh, I, I, I've had opportunity to go to some of those pizzerias there. And I really, really like Connie's. I really, really like Lou Malnati's. But one of my favorites is Giordano's. Yeah. And I could talk to you this morning. We're coming up on lunchtime. It's okay to talk about food a little bit, right? I could talk to you about Giordano's. One of the first times I went to Giordano's, the one downtown, I walk in and I got a big glass window and then there's kind of like a little kitchen area that you can see off to your right. And there's a guy with the whole chef's thing going on. He's got the white, white stuff, the apron and the little hat. And he's taking this big ball of dough and he's working it and he's throwing it up in the air and throwing it up in the air. And like, you know, my idea of cooking is like, you know, open the beefaroni and put it in the microwave. This... <laughs> This guy's really legitimately doing this. It's kind of impressive. And, you're, and you're, you're seeing this dough that's been handmade. He didn't just get this dough from Aldi's freezer. He's, 
he's, he's worked this with, with uh, some tender love and care and, and special ingredients. And then, and then they'll take that dough, of course, in a Chicago deep dish style pizza. And they'll, they'll take and put it in the pan. And most time you make pizza at home or whatever else, most pizza joints in the United States of America, they just lay that thing out flat. And it's, it's almost like a cookie sheet, right? That's round. No, this is like a dish. Deep dish pizza, that's why. And they take that dough and they put it not just to the edge, they wrap it up. Because it's got to hold something. And they, they wrap that, that, that dough up there, and then they begin to layer it with different layers. And they'll put that sauce down. That's not sauce like Chef Boyardee. This is special sauce with old world spices in it. And they, and they put it on there. And, and some of their good meats, they, they've been aged to perfection. And some of their cheeses came over from the old country. And, you know, they smell like somebody's feet, but they taste <laughs> like heaven on earth. And they, they take ingredient by ingredient, they'll put that sauce and, and the reason for the thickness, and they'll put another layer maybe of cheese, and they'll put some more sauce, and they'll put some of those great meats, and then they'll put some more sauce, and layer by layer, he's building a wonderful creation, a symphony of food, layer by layer. And then that master uh, pizza maker takes it and puts it in this enormous oven and you're, you're sitting at the table and you're waiting and you're, the aroma begins to Oh man, I can smell that guy's pizza over there. Boy, I can smell that coming from the oven over there. And then, and then your weight is, is rewarded after not too long. This guy comes out to the table with this enormous uh, pan of pizza. Now, I'm not sure why they do this, but the pizza is on like a little rack. It's almost like they want you to worship it. It's like, well, this is, they're elevating this. They're like, oh yes, no. But they bring the pizza out and they set it on that little rack. And sometimes the guy will serve you and he, he, uh, he, puts the spatula in the pan of pizza and he lifts it up and suspended between heaven and earth, the pizza, there's cheese still connecting. And, and the angels come out of the sky and begin to sing a song and, and, and birds start singing and, and my life is better and they take and put that on my plate. Of course, you can't pick it up and eat it. It's, it weighs like five pounds and you would just be drenched. You have to take a, a fork and a knife and, and you, you cut that first piece off the end of that triangle and you, you take that piece and, and you look at it and you smell it and you put it in your mouth. Oh, and the need is met and joy is had and rejoicing is, is experienced in my person because of the wonderful bite of Giordano's pizza. And I could describe each bite, each morsel in great detail. And I could tell you how good Giordano's is. But that will never meet your needs. You will never know the joy of the flavors until you taste of it for yourself. And young people, uh, you may be from a great church. Maybe some town students here. Where they are. And you may have had the best of upbringings. And mom and dad may be telling you how good God is. And I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. And you could hear how it was back in the old days when they started the church and saw victory after victory. Or, or you can hear how this guy got saved from a life of drugs and whatever. And you can hear how God did this and God answered them. And, and, and how, why he, of course he's happy. Look what God did for him. And you can come to the spiritual buffet every single day and go out those doors hungry. Because you haven't tasted. You know about the Lord. You know about seeking him. But you person, when was the last time you said, God, I need you today. I'm seeking you today. Show me, God, that you're good. God, I want, I, I need you. And you'll see if you taste. And, and I, I want to 
Don't be, you can go through all four years or you can pack four years into five years. I did that. <coughs> and you can do all of that and go away hungry. And you won't last long because you don't have the spiritual sustenance. You've not, you don't have the nourishment you need because you haven't tasted of the Lord and seen how good he is to you. He is, in this very real sense, a personal savior. And it doesn't mean he conforms to our will and our ideas of who God is, but it does mean he is accessible to us and that he cares. We are to cast all our care upon him, for he careth for us. So you may be here today and you may have heard Pastor Van Gelderen and some of the other staff members talk over and over again about how good God is. And you've seen, seen God's victory. You see, while wow, he's happy and praise the Lord, rejoice with me. And we sing a song and, and we rejoice and, and we read a psalm and we rejoice. But I wonder, are you truly happy? Are you truly rejoicing? And maybe the reason you're not is because you haven't tasted of how good he is for yourself. And I can t- say on the authority of God's word and from personal experience, the Lord <laughs> is so good. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father in heaven, if there's someone in here who needs to make a decision, Lord, to really taste of you in a new way, I pray that they might make today the day that they could do that. And as a piano plays, Lord, uh, have your will and way in our hearts. We love you. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. Your mercy is higher than the heavens, and you are better than I could even, even uh, attempt to explain. Thank you for your goodness, your love, your patience, your sovereignty. We love you in Jesus' name.